Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Botts. And I'm Kelsey Meyer Schockel. We're both executive coaches with Good Leadership Enterprises, and this is the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. You can find out more about Good Leadership Enterprises and the breakfast series that we're podcasting at goodleadership.com. Yeah, we're recording this podcast in the aspiration suite of the offices of this firm that I own here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Today, we're featuring the appearance of Stedman Graham from the Good Leadership Breakfast that happened just this morning. It's a monthly leadership development event that Paul started in 2009, and today is the beginning of the 10th year. Congratulations. Yeah, that feels really awesome. It was fun to talk about that this morning. So naturally, we wanted to kick off our 10th year in a really, really big way. And you did. <laughs> How did you manage to get the man who affectionately referred to himself as Oprah's man? <laughs> yeah, you know, Oprah's boyfriend, right? Uh, well, I invited Stedman because he and I actually share a coaching client together, and we both really believe in the idea that goodness pays. And so one day when we were just hanging out, I said, hey, I have this little breakfast thing that I do. <laughs> Would you mind flying to Minneapolis and you know helping us kick off our 10th year? And so that's how the whole thing happened. That's awesome. That's great. Well, I'm really glad you did. It was fun to hear from him today. I will say I was most interested in his life story, which we only got little tidbits of. I wish we had more, but it was so it was interesting to hear where he came from to where he is. Yeah, and I've spent time with him several times before. Um, I was just I'm just fascinated with his presence. This guy's got this mystical, very wise, old soul presence about him that really filled the room in such a way that, in some ways, I think maybe pe- there were people in the audience who actually didn't really listen to what they <laughs> what he said. They mainly were just captivated by how he said it and how mm-hmm. he carried himself. And so I think that's that's probably an appropriate backdrop because he just really had this very calm, strong presence about him that filled the room. And it'll be really hard to put that out over the podcast. Yeah, that's really fair. So for first time listeners, the strategy for this episode is what we call Monday morning quarterback. In other words, we'll play some of the highlights of Stedman's talk this morning and share our observations and even contrary opinions based on our experience as executive coaches. So let's get started. Okay, so I think it's appropriate to just begin with how I introduced Stedman and and sort of why we decided to invite him into the breakfast. So let's just go right there. I'm about to introduce you to somebody who lives a good life, who radiates goodness. The first time I met Stedman Graham, when I shook his hand, I thought to myself, this powerful man has such a gentle presence and a beautifully soft handshake. And the second and the third and the 10th time I shook his hand, it was the same every time. And I started wondering in my life, I was like, you know, Here's a guy that seems so comfortable with the who's who of the world. How does one get that way? If you read my blog this past Tuesday, I actually challenged you to Google photos of Stedman Graham. Anybody do it? It's amazing. The guy is hardly ever photographed alone. I saw endless photographs with professional athletes, with the Obamas, and of course with Oprah. Man. It's so exciting to be in the presence of someone who really has his finger on the pulse, what it's going to take to help our society get stronger from the ground up. He's become the world's leading authority on a concept called identity leadership, and it's really all about helping each one of us find our identity, regardless of our social economic status, and have that be an additive effect that's going to change the world. So please join me in welcoming the world's most famous boyfriend. Stedman Graham. Uh, 
so much. Thank you so much. I uh, like your introduction. I appreciate it. I'm very humbled by it, Paul, and I'm very humbled by your work and uh, what you do. I think you're spot on. And I uh, also want to thank my good friend, Kevin Warren, who was a friend of mine for 30 years, and, and he espouses good leadership. Okay, so I have to interject here just one thing. Kevin that he refers to in this clip is Kevin Warren, who's the chief operating officer of the Minnesota Vikings. And my client relationship with Kevin is how we got to Stedman's to get him invited here. So he talks about Kevin as a big source of inspiration for him. That's who that is. Obviously, you're all good leaders. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here this morning, right? And uh, what is this goodness thing? This goodness thing is, is, is powerful. When you talk about good leadership, first of all, leadership is everything. And without it, you really have nothing. And it's a very special um, gift to be a leader. That's a gift. That's a blessing. Because basically, you have about 99% of the world who are followers. That represents about 6.9 billion people who are looking for leadership. That was a great introduction, Paul. Yeah, it, thank you. it gave a lot of good context on where he's coming from. Yeah, Case, okay, so we just played a very short clip. What were you thinking right away as he got started? Yeah, yeah it was interesting. Um, my first reaction was, well, man, I don't think of leadership that way. A lot of the coaching work we do is on personal leadership, which means whether you have a followers or not, it's kind of this self-leadership. Yeah, and I think 99% to 1%, I think that's uh, overly dramatic. Mm. You know, I, I believe in the bell curve, and the bell curve would say somewhere around a third of the people are leaders. And I particularly believe that, you know, everybody can be a leader, but I, I'm also thinking that he does a lot of work on a global scale mm. in, in some of the most impoverished countries of the world where people don't actually think they can make a difference. And so my mind is open to 99 and 1, but I don't buy it. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just keep going. And when we talk about good leadership, I think about self-mastery. How do you master yourself in faith? How do you master yourself in family? How do you master yourself in finances? How do you master yourself in fitness? How do you master yourself in friends, fun, and future? And the definition of goodness, as Paul has it here, is when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. And the key word for me here is thrive. Can you thrive based on your potential as a human being? I don't know if you can do that. Because I don't, I don't think it's set up for you to be able to thrive. It may be set up for you to work, but it's not set up for you personally to thrive. I think it's pretty cool to hear him reference so many good leadership concepts yeah. already. Um, but for listeners who aren't as familiar with some of the things we talk about, I just want to be clear. So when he's talking about faith, family, friends, he's talking about the seven Fs, which yeah. is sort of a foundational way that we look at personal leadership. Yeah, I, I have to say that this whole thing has been kind of an out-of-body experience for me because I only coach these people very slightly. And some of the people who come and speak at the breakfast don't really even visit our website or do read the blog I wrote about. This guy was showing up on my stage 
using my language. And it really was fascinating to me. And I also like the fact that we've made a strong transition to the idea that goodness is about helping people thrive together. Mm -hmm. And it was really fun to hear him put those words in his mouth in how he described goodness and good leadership. So, you know, we're only a couple minutes in and I think we're already off to a really good start. Yeah. Well, let's keep listening. Most people, they get up in the morning, they wash their face, they brush their teeth, they get something to eat, they get the kids off to school, they work all day, they come home in the afternoon, they spend time with the family, they watch TV, they go to bed, maybe they dream that's Monday. I don't know how you thrive if you're on Tuesday, you get up in the morning, you wash your face, you brush your teeth, you get something to eat, you get the kids off to school, you work all day, come home in the afternoon, you spend time with the family, you watch TV, you go to bed, maybe you dream that's Tuesday. I don't really know how you thrive if on Wednesday, you get up in the morning, you wash your face, you brush your teeth, you get something to eat, you get the kids off to school, you work all day, you come home in the afternoon, you spend time with the family, you watch TV, you go to bed, maybe you dream. That's Wednesday. Then on Thursday, you do what? <laughs> the same thing. And then on Friday, you, some people are looking for happiness, so then maybe they go to happy hour on Friday. <laughs> and then Saturday, they wash, they clean up, they get the kids off to activity. Saturday night, they go out. Sunday, a lot of people go to church, they eat chicken dinners in the afternoon, and they get ready for work on Monday. Wow. I've been doing that for 40 years. I have no more in the end than I had in the beginning. So if you did the same thing you did yesterday as you will do today, as you will do tomorrow, what have you done? Nothing. Well, that was the most energetic he was by far. And obviously that's a very well-rehearsed gag. You know, all of us professional speakers have our, you know, little modules that we can deliver, at, you know, without any kind of rehearsal. But it, it was a very powerful point that he's delivering. And I think as executive coaches, a lot of the times what we do is to stop that pattern and ask people, why are you here? What are you trying to accomplish? And so, yeah, I, I was, I kind of chuckled at the gag, but it was pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, um, you know, my first response was, you know, there's nothing wrong with good routine if the routine's working for you. But I think you're exactly right. I think his point being when it's mindless when you're not setting intention behind it, when you're not growing within it. Um, so, so that helped me kind of start mentally shift to, I think, where he was going with it. So let's uh, move ahead to really what his signature is, and that's sort of the whole identity leadership thing. And he asks a, a really powerful question in this next segment. And the only and most important question anybody will ever ask you in your life that will allow you to maximize your potential based on all of these seven F's is this. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? And when you don't know who you are, wow, you're just kind of walking around searching for value. If you don't know who you are, you're you, you, you let the world define you by your race and tell you that you can't make it because of the color of your skin. If you don't know who you are, you're defined by your gender and told that you can't make it because you're, you know, you're a woman, you're, you can't make it because it's a man's world. If, if you don't know who you are, you're, you're defined by your history, you're stuck in that box. You're defined by your family sometimes, good or bad. When you don't know who you are, you're defined by your religion, you're defined by your house and your car and your money and your title. 
in your job. You're not going anywhere. You'll never be able to maximize your potential as a human being until you have an identity, until you can focus on the inside as opposed to focusing on the outside. See, we got some work to do in terms of good leadership. Because if you're looking for freedom on the uh, outside, ladies and gentlemen, you, you'll never find it. See, it took me a long time to realize it's not how the world defines you. It's how you define yourself. And you have to take control of that. And nobody wants to give you that. I know, I, know I, I'm, I understand it very well. I was defined by my family. and two disabled brothers in my family. Tough thing to deal with. I grew up with low self-esteem, a lack of confidence. And the only thing that kept me from destroying myself, I worked in the prison system five years. I didn't say I was in the prison system five years. <laughs> I understand he was in the prison system five years, and now he's speaking in Minnesota. I don't want you to go back and say that. But there's no question I would have been in prison that system, Kevin, if, except for one thing. I was a ball player. And basketball helped me, what, believe in myself. And then as Kevin says, uh, you know, I'm defined by my relationship. I'm with a very powerful woman, wonderful person, who I love and care about, and who's accomplished great things. And every time I walk out the door, people define me by my relationship. They don't even know my name. They say, oh, you're Oprah's man. So I'm defined by that. And then I was defined by all the other things that I just talked about. And it took me a long time to realize, well, how do you transform? Oh, I get it. It's goodness, which I equate to love, the most powerful word in the world. You cannot transform. You'll never reach your potential unless you focus on the most powerful word in the world. And the most powerful word in the world is L-O-V-E. Okay, so there's kind of the Oprah moment. <laughs> I could, you know, that's how I, when I listen to that, I think, yeah, that's exactly how she might handle some powerful emotional situation by going L-O-V-E. And I just, I, I just chuckled and was like, you know what? They've obviously spent a lot of time together, right? <laughs> That's what happens with partners, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it, it brought me back to, we have this wonderful band that plays at the Good Leadership Breakfast, mm -hmm. and they played that song this morning, so yep. it felt like everything was kind of coming together in that moment. Yep. But um, yeah, it's a cool connection to connect goodness to love, because I, th I, I can see it, and yet, you know, we already talk about goodness being a word that businesses struggle with sometimes. It mm -hmm. feels uncomfortable. Yeah. So, Imagine using love walking into the next corporate Yeah, most of the got. time we talk about business as hard and fast. Mm -hmm. And he obviously has this loving, sort of affectionate uh, style about him. So obviously it, 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 was, it was fun to listen to. Let's just keep going. And how do you make love practical? It's a question. How do you take the 24 hours that you have every single day and develop a process of continuous improvement so you can be a better person today than you were yesterday. Einstein said you cannot solve a problem with the same mindset that caused it. So you have to be a thinker to be able to do that. You have to be aware to be able to do that. You got to be able to discover yourself and work on yourself every single 
day. So you don't get trapped doing the same thing over and over every single day. You're not going anywhere. Unless you have some self-awareness about who you are and you can work on that every single day by organizing everything you love in your life. It really is simple to develop an identity for yourself. Okay, so what he's describing there is at the center of what we do in executive coaching. We try to help people find out why do you do what you do? How does your work fit into the organization and why does your unique leadership matter? And asking people to really get in touch with what do they love about their work, I think is particularly important when you and I, we work a lot with these executives who carry a lot of stress because what they do is create resistance. They often get surprised by that resistance. And we often hear, I'm so frustrated. (laughs) And that's kind of the opposite Mm. of what he's talking about there. And I think if you really know yourself, you understand where you're going, you don't actually interpret it as frustration. You just interpret it as leadership. Mm. That's what my job is, to try to help people get through that. So that's kind of how I heard that. What, what did you think? Yeah, so you're saying, well, l- let me just dig into what you're saying. You're saying it, it's you come to expect that there's going to be resistance because you're pushing something new. Mm-hmm. And so the way that you interpret it and experience it is more positive. Yeah, especially if you understand why you're doing it. If you actually love what you're mm. doing, the mm-hmm. frustration doesn't overcome you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, um, absolutely. I think the, the thing that also jumped out to me was this idea of writing everything down. Mm-hmm. We do, I mean, that's a practice that we do yes. in coaching because it is amazing to see the transformation that happens when it goes from in your head to on a piece of paper. It is, a di- it is different. There's a different accountability. There's a different... Um, just mental process to that for people. And so I think even something as simple as writing down a goal or writing down the intention is powerful. Yeah, n- not only that, but I actually, I read something recently about the power of the pencil as opposed to the pen because I literally can feel the lead dragging across the threads on the paper in ways with a pencil that I can't with a pen. And it makes me so much more mindful about what I'm writing down. I also like the power of the eraser. (laughs) But I think our point here is he's recommending that to find yourself, you literally write down what you love. Mm. And I think that is a powerful exercise and something that we can even emphasize even more in our coaching. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's transition to what he has to say about identity leadership. I teach a nine-step success process. I teach identity leadership, which is self-leadership based on the philosophy that you cannot lead anybody else until you first lead yourself. So it's a process of self-actualization. How do you self-actualize your own potential so that the more you have, the more you can give? You can't give anything unless you have something. And the value that you give yourself is the value the world gives you. The world sees you as you see yourself. So how do you see yourself? And being able to organize that around the most powerful word in the world. And then the second step is to visualize who you want to become. The good book says where there is no vision, the people perish. you got to have a vision beyond yourself. Okay, so that's really his claim to fame in the intellectual property and thought leadership, because what he's suggesting here is exactly opposite of what we've been taught about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And his theory, if we were to go on and listen to this to the very, very end, is that Maslow's hierarchy of needs is all about, you know, fighting for food and safety, and that his 
process is that people in the inner cities, the darkest parts of the inner cities in America, and some parts around the world, that's all they end up doing is fighting for those things. And so his model has been proven with social research that if you get those same people first to be self-actualized and thinking about who they are and who they want to be, that they stop fighting for those things and those things just come to them. Hmm. It's, re- it's very countercultural, but I think from a sociological standpoint, it's very, very powerful. Hmm. And I think it's okay right now to just transition through his step process. I'll, I'll just read what the other steps are just to fill in the gaps here. So we talked about have an identity and have a vision. Then the next one is to develop a plan. Hmm. Number four is to master the rules of your road, which is a value system. The fifth one is to step into the outer limits, which is to push what your thought process is. Then pilot the seasons of change, which is understand that you're going to have resistance and things are going to change. And the final three then are build a team, make decisions that are aligned with your vision, and then actually commit to it in ways that are sort of mind, body, spirit commitment. So beyond just an intellectual commitment. Um, I asked him in the interview portion of this to talk to us about his relationship with Oprah and explain to us through his eyes, how did Oprah get to where she is today? So I think we should cut right to that now. Well, um, number one, you're dealing with a genius. Mm -hmm. Most people don't know that she has a photographic memory. So she retains information very well. And then she's able to understand, first of all, she's a good person. Mm-hmm. I mean, secondly, she's a good person. First, she's a good person, yeah, sure. and then she retains mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> let's just get that straight, okay? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, she wants to help people. You know, She wants to make a difference in people's lives. And it's pretty much divine. You know, mm-hmm. Her life is divine, just like I feel like my life is divine because I read one book in high school and I'm able now to write 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so for her, it's like being able to have that drive and you gotta have the mm-hmm. drive mm-hmm. and you gotta have the uh, want to mm-hmm. and you also have to have the process mm-hmm. and you have to have Again, you have to you know, be a part of the American Free Enterprise System, and you gotta be able to communicate very well, which she's one of the greatest communicators in the world. So putting all that together mm-hmm. allows her to be who she is. But you can imagine, this is a woman from Kosciuszko, Mississippi. In Mississippi, growing up through the time that she grew up, and having to, you know, outhouse in the back, you know, they had to wash her own clothes by hand, make live soap, all of that, to go from there to become a billionaire mm-hmm. and to own her own magazine and to be able to now with the Weight Watchers program, mm-hmm. and she's a part owner in that, and, and the networks, and now the Apple TV and partnering with them and all of that. One woman, you know, one woman that has goodness and intelligence and lives in America, mm-hmm. greatest country in the world. Putting all that together says what? Says that if she can do, she it, can do it, you can do it too. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, we all know that Oprah's story is extraordinary, and I'm not sure that it was realistic for us to think he'd have any sort of brilliant ray of sunshine to help us understand that story any differently. But when you hear it told again, she came from nothing. She has everything. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I was touched by it. Here, I'm an entrepreneur who's invested all of my family's life savings in pursuing this idea that goodness pays. And we're in our ninth year of doing this Good Leadership Breakfast. There have been lots of ups and downs. We have lost lots of money on this breakfast at points in time. And when I heard him say that, it really said something to me. Mm. Yeah. It, it spoke to me. And I think that there are a lot of people that come to our breakfast because they're searching for something or they're in some sort of transition. And uh, it was just really fun to be reminded about her extraordinary story from nothing to everything. It was, for me, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the affection, the way that you talked about his presence and the way he speaks about her and this, I mean, this person that matters so much to him, I feel like was a really beautiful window into who he is and, and what they have. Okay, so we're nearing the end of our podcast now. So Kelsey, as part of our brand here, we talk about a carpe diem moment. It's an actionable insight, something you learned that you're going to immediately take away from spending time with Stedman Graham. What's that for you? I loved his line about love made practical. That just resonated deeply for me. And so really specifically, it just um, is on my heart to have intention, like the the moment I walk in the door at home, to just be present with my son. Forget about my to-do list and just be there with him. How about for you, Paul? Well, it's it's um, similar in the fact that I, I'm a guy that lives a naturally very caffeinated life. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of energy. I have a hard time keeping focus. And I'm going to remember what it felt like to be in the presence of Stedman Grayman way much more than what he said. Uh, I meant what I said in the introduction. He has, he's amazing. He's a huge, huge human being. And when I shook his hand, is a massive hand that just enveloped my entire hand, but it was extremely gentle. And there was this old soul calming energy about him. And I thought to myself, okay, I probably have 20 more years of doing this. How can I find that same kind of energy and give that to the people who are in my presence? Uh, it was really, I, I'll never forget that. That's awesome. It's great. Well, that takes us to the end of our time together. So we want to finish by saying what we always say, which is... Goodness pays. Goodness pays. Hey, thank you very much for investing the time in this podcast, whether you're exercising or on a long drive or maybe sitting on an airplane or just taking some time to work on yourself. We uh, always appreciate your feedback and comments. You can do that at goodleadership.com or just send me an email at paul at goodleadership. Thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.